Let's pray one more time. Father, would you prepare our hearts as you've been working on them this morning to learn and to love any of your words, all of your words. Lord, your law is our counselor. We want to be ruled by it. It's our physician. We will be a patient under it. It is our schoolmaster. We will be obedient to it. But who am I, Lord? I should promise any service to you and think that I could do anything without your grace and call. Would you be pleased this morning, God, to reveal your spirit to us and to work in us all that you require in Christ's name? And the church said, amen. Amen. So we don't skip the hard parts when we come to a hard part in the scripture reading, and I'll deal with that shortly. Years ago, I had the privilege of being in London for meetings with some incredibly talented men and women of God who were um, praying through a ministry opportunity for evangelism and training, uh, next-gen stuff. And one of those days that I was there, they were so kind to build into my itinerary. I wouldn't have done it, but they did. My wife was grateful because I would just do business the whole trip and never look to see anything. She's like, what was that town like? And I'd be like, a hotel, a conference room, and a meeting hall. I mean, that was, that was life. And uh, she's like, babe, get out of the hotel and go see something. And so I was grateful for that. So grateful. Thank God for uh, godly wives that uh, help us be at our best. One of the days, though, they had arranged a trip for me into London proper. And so I was able to go act like a tourist for about a half a day. And I caught the tube into the city, uh, the train, still affectionately referred to as the tube. At every possible place to step off on the platform on the train, there are words visible on the ground that say, mind the gap. Now, that's not a royalty picture there. That's a picture I took while I was there, about to get ready for a tube to arrive. Mind the gap. Now, for obvious reasons, it's there for safety. Sometimes there's quite a gap between where you step off of the platform and onto the plane, onto the train. <laughs> plane, that'd be fun. But uh, in some parts of the platform, it's maybe three or four inches. In other parts, it's enough to get a foot through. You have to be careful because it's uneven at different parts. You gotta watch where you step. Now, I took this picture because while I was standing there waiting what seemed like forever, uh, on the tube to arrive, I was thinking, wow, this is really, I was having a moment there. I was thinking about the gap in my life that so easily creeps up on what I profess to what I actually possess. I can talk a big game, but do I have the goods to back it up? I mean, you see young people at Little League now talking smack on the field, and you're thinking this is fun to watch. Uh, and what are they going to actually do? Well, we talk, maybe not smack, but we talk a big game sometimes. We have anything to back it up with. Well, this morning, it's not really the, the title of the sermon, but it's a good illustration. I'll revisit it in a moment. Uh, we're going to mind the gap, if you would, between the burning bush and Moses actually showing up in Egypt. Because it wasn't instantaneous. He didn't just leave that burning bush and go boom and God by his power put him where he needed to be right before Pharaoh. 
For most of the text this morning, the application will be so immediate. In fact, the sermon crafting, as it were, works that way. It's not typical. It's not typically how I flow through a text, but it's so obvious. It, it, I would be obtuse to skip over it and try to come back to it at the end. So we'll just touch it as it comes up. But here we go. There's more that meets the eye just on the surface. I think the overarching lesson from our text this morning is pretty simple. Obedience is essential in any ministry that will honor God and any life that will honor God. But I also see a prescriptive, and there's the title, Pathway to Ministry as we watch Moses return to Egypt. Let's go back and look at the text this morning with me. If you'll look at Exodus chapter number four, let's that first verse 18. Here's your first point if you're going to write some things down. Sorry, Mark, I had to skip there. Here's your first point if you're going to write some things down. Ministry starts with a family. Ministry starts or begins with a family. You got that? Look at the text, verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro blesses him and says, Yes, go, go in peace. It's, it's highly possible, I would contend, that family life is the linchpin to your effectiveness as a disciple-maker, your effectiveness as an ambassador for Christ, and your effectiveness, if I can use modern vernacular, as an influencer for Jesus. There's no demand for perfection at home. That's not what this is. Even when we look at the qualifications to be an elder and even a deacon to serve in the local church, when we see those qualifications, it talks about a man that can rule his own household. This doesn't mean with an iron fist or that you've got this huge 40-pound family-sized Bible that you're bludgeoning your children with when they get out of line. It's not what it's talking about. What this means is that you are in charge at home. You and your wife together, you and your family together, not every family set up that way, but you and your family um, are moving toward shepherding their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't save your children. You can't make anybody do right. It doesn't mean that if you have an unruly child that you're disqualified for being in leadership, you would have no elders um, ever in any local church or deacons if that were the case. Um, But it does mean there's something here about the home that's important and it shows up in the local church. Think with me through Ephesians 5, 31 uh, through 6, 4. Just if you want to make a note, Ephesians 5 and 6. Make that note on the family, the end of 5, first of 6. It goes like this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave, the authorized text would say, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ, Paul would write, and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects the husband children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land ephesians 6 4 fathers don't provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord moses is honoring his family by going back to Jethro and requesting his blessing for his departure. It's not required. He's 80 years old. Process that. Moses is not some young whippersnapper that showed up trying to take, you know, this woman off the reservation. That's not what's happening. 
He's an 80-year-old man, but he wants to do it right. And if you want to do life right, you'll do right by your family. This family has become his family. He's a part of this family. Your life in Christ should be no shock to your family around you. What does that mean? I mean, you shouldn't act one way, one place, and another way, another place. I'll come back to that in a minute. My children, my children, your pastor's children, will come to love and respect vocational ministry, or they will come to completely despise and disregard it based on the way, watch this, I go home every day. I'm not encouraged that we simply act right in church gatherings. I want you to be at church like you are at home. That's the mark of maturity. I want both to glorify God. Now, I do want you to dress like you're at church, but I'm just saying. I want you to be you, the new you that God is making new and sanctifying and glorifying His Son through. I don't want you to put on an act when you come to church. You see, that's where we got the stats that we've gotten for the last 25 years in youth ministry. We're 67 on the low side to 82% of our students are jettisoning from the Christian faith, the first opportunity they have. Why? Because we taught them how to, watch this, act at church. As long as you say the right things, do the right things, act a certain way in the building, we're satisfied. We're going to put your number up there on the board. We're going to count you as one of the blood bought. And then as soon as they can get out of doing the act, they were leaving, having really possessed a therapeutic, moralistic deism instead of being biblically grounded Christians who are capable of making disciples, making disciples, even at 18 years old. I, I don't want you to act. Moses, it was not an act for Moses. Moses was the same on the shepherding field now as he is at home, and he wants to be genuine. He wants to honor the family. You honor your family when you honor the Lord. You don't need your family's permission to do the Lord's will. Now, let me say that. That's not what this is about. He wanted Jethro's blessing. He didn't need his permission to obey God. Jesus would say in Luke 14, if you come to me and regard your family's input as higher than mine, that's not going to work. In fact, when it comes to instruction, Jesus says, you're to hate your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even your own life, if it gets in the way of you saying yes to me. You want to be my disciple? You love me above all else, Jesus would say. But you don't get to abandon or dishonor your family in a way that pushes them away from the Lord. Real ministry that honors God begins with the family. Fellas, live the light of the gospel out at home. Women, live the light of the gospel out at home. To my single brothers and sisters, be legit when nobody's watching. Teens, tweens, this stuff's for real. Don't sing loud at church and impress your Sunday school teachers when you're a terror at home. Be the real deal. Second point here may seem so obvious, but that doesn't mean it's not worth exploring. Ministry must be led by the Lord. 
It starts with a family, but it's got to be led by the Lord. You're like, well, pretty obvious. What is it if it's not led by the Lord? Excellent question. (laughs) But look at the next passage here, 19 through 23, as we work through the text. Just a few observations this morning from our text. The Lord speaks again. He says, Moses, go back to Egypt. All the men who were seeking your life are dead. So God speaks to Moses. Look, he's giving a clear word of instruction. At the burning bush, he kind of laid out the plan, said how it was going to happen. Now he's saying it's time to go. But he gives that instruction with a word of comfort. Do you see it? The people that desire your life, the men that you're worried about, the thing that you're the most concerned about when you show up, how am I going to get this thing done? It's not articulated vocally in the text, but you can see it underlined here in the subtext. How am I going to do this thing if the second I show up in Egypt, these fellas take me out? He said, nope, they're no longer in the picture. And so then we see Moses obeying. Moses takes his wife, his sons, he puts them on a donkey, he heads back to the land of Egypt, and he also takes his staff, the staff of God in his hand. He takes all the things and the people he's supposed to take, and then the Lord speaks again. In verse 21, basically God here is going to cover, look, he's going to say, here is um, my part, or, or rather he'll cover Moses' part, he'll cover his part, and then he'll cover what's at stake. For Moses' part, he says, do the signs and the wonders that I'm going to give you. Do the miracles. They were signs and wonders to those watching on. I don't know about you, but when I think about the Ten Commandments and, and think about the, the plagues of Egypt, two things come to mind. The movie, The Ten Commandments, which is like 42 hours long. Um, I was trying to find a clip on one thing just to see if something acted out. And Charlton Heston, I mean... That's about as Moses as you can get, right? It's hard for me to envision anybody other than him as Moses. Um, I think we're all going to get to heaven, right? And we'll meet Moses. They're like, I'm Moses. You're like, no, you're not. Where's the real Moses? Oh, yeah. That's Anyway, so I'm trying to envision somebody different. The other movie that we liked was Prince of Egypt, the animated movie from the 90s, early 2000s, somewhere around in there. And uh, so both of those movies kind of color my visuals when I'm imagining this. But... We think about the signs and wonders that Moses did. They were signs and wonders to those watching on, but watch this. They were simply acts of obedience for Moses. (laughs) Most of us want to do something spectacular for the Lord that people take note of, but here's the deal. He just wants you to simply obey his word. Trust me. If you walk in obedience to God, it will be spectacular for those watching on because you'll be going the opposite direction of mainstream culture. Moses, you do your part, and then God says, I'm going to do my part. You're going to do these things before Pharaoh, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Wow. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is why you have to be led by God into ministry. This is why you have to be led by God, even to do the things that God has demanded us to do in the making of disciples and evangelism. We need to be led by the Lord. Why? Because when you get into battle, And trust me, church, we are in a battle. But don't mistake this as a political battle. Don't mistake this as simply an ideological battle. Don't mistake this as simply a worldview battle. No, the Bible tells us that we, although we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So 
when we are wrestling, when the rubber meets the road, if we want to wrestle well, we will need to make sure that we have followed Jesus into the battle. Moses needs to have a firm grasp on a God-breathed worldview. Why? So that he would know what's what. If you're not walking in the Spirit and you're not walking with the Lord, filling your heart and mind with His Word, you can get really mixed up in this day and age. You can get mixed up ideologically. You can get mixed up convictionally. You can even call good evil and evil good if it's packaged, right? We face a dilemma in front of us where Christians are willing to abandon some core and fundamental issues because of personality differences at a national level. We've got to be careful. We've got to make sure that we are grounded in a biblical worldview. There's some things that are non-negotiable for the church. Life is one of them. Pharaoh had in his heart to do good or to do bad, but he chose evil. He got one shot and blew it. You say, well, that's not fair. No, no, no. It was grace that he even was given an opportunity at all. One old missiologist used to say it this way, nobody deserves to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. Wow. How many of you responded the very first time you heard? Not me. What a God. God hardens Pharaoh's heart? Ooh, I I don't know if I like that. Fortunately, he didn't take a poll to see how you felt about it before he did it. Me either. The Bible says in Genesis 25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You see, the Bible believes in a God who is really and truly God. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without him noticing. The chance roll of a dice, according to Proverbs 16, is under his control. The fluctuations of the human heart are in his hand in both welcome and unwelcome ways, according to the Psalms. It's his to recreate, Psalm 51. His to direct, Psalm 119. His to restrain, Psalm 141. And the heart that knows him is his gift, Jeremiah 24. And as is the new heart that he makes. It is a far more serious matter to fall out of the power of God than into the power of Satan. God hardens Pharaoh's heart to accomplish his will for his glory and his people. And he was right to do it. Moses, you do your part. I'll do my part. Here's what's at stake right here. The firstborn Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. God is assuring Moses here of his special love for Israel. Did you know this? In the ancient world, the firstborns had special rights and privileges. And God would see to it that Israel would be redeemed and rewarded while the firstborn of Egypt would be slain. Let me hasten through this just to give you the point. God is drawing a line between the firstborn of God and the firstborn of the world or of Egypt. The line that God has drawn is stark. On one side is grace and life. On the other side are judgment and death. There is no middle ground and no other option. 
John would write in one of his later epistles, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whosoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is life and death stuff, church. You have friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members who need the lifeline of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ thrown out to them because they are on the side of death. The Bible clearly tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment, we will all stand before the judgment of a holy God to give an account for what we've done. Are we in Christ? Are we not in Christ? That's what matters at the judgment seat. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no middle ground. I will stake my life on the claims of this book. No middle ground. Ministry starts with the family. Ministry must be led by the Lord. Thirdly, this morning, ministry demands integrity. Ministry demands integrity. Now, some of you are noticing the scripture reference here and thinking, okay, now I want to hear him handle this. <laughs> Ministry demands integrity. What about that weird passage we read just a moment ago? Actually, the verses should be there 24 through 26. It's my fault there. Ministry uh, demands integrity. What about those verses about Zipporah and the flint and the, well, let's see what's going on here. At the lodging place on the way, on the way where? To, everybody say Egypt. I know we don't normally do that, and you're masked, but let's try again. He's on the way to Egypt. Awesome. He's leaving Midian with the blessing. He's trucking along, ready to do the Lord's will. This is my example of the walk, right? That might be a dance move. I don't know. But anyway, he's walking along, and then it says, and the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Wait, what? The Lord meets him, this champion of God's cause, on the way to do God's work, wanting to do it God's way. The Lord meets Moses and says, I'm going to put you to death here. The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. You should read, well, probably you shouldn't, but let me just tell you, it was fun reading the commentaries all over the map on this text right here. They're scratching their head and they're saying, ah, yeah, that's basically a summary of all the commentators. That's how it goes. That's what it was like, just so you know. It's about where I landed. The Lord sought, seeks to put him to death here. Well, what's going on? We, we've got to read the rest of it to figure out what's up. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. God let Moses alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, we're not going to the next verse, but the very next thing we see back on track, everything's moving ahead. So what was Moses' failure here where God would seek to put him to death? Well, fundamentally, basic stuff here, you ready? God had given a clear command and Moses had not obeyed, period. God had given a clear command and Moses had not obeyed. The Lord deals with Moses' purity and his obedience here. He will not bypass, hear me church, God will not bypass your, the details, he will not bypass 
holiness and he will not bypass the covenant for the sake of a cause. Now we will lay down all kinds of convictions for the sake of cause if they're politically expedient. We've done it as a church for years. We've been lied to by every political party promising us this, that, and the other. None have delivered and yet we're in bed with all of them if they'll sing us the right song. There's your political speech this morning, right? Our pastor don't talk about politics and we're glad because he's mad about everything. Moses here has tried to bypass this covenant. Remember when God identified himself to Moses? He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and he's calling his attention to the covenant. Remember we rejoiced earlier at the end of chapter two when Israel's crying out for deliverance. We were all excited when it said, and God heard the groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. Can I tell you something? That covenant, though, had requirements on the human side. It required an outward physical sign and it was the circumcision. Now God is remembering that covenant again, bringing it from the back burner to the front burner, and he's stopping Moses in his tracks. God is holding Moses to this. What? This? Can I have an, just a side note with you? Really? What does this have to do with standing before Pharaoh? Right? Like, really, God? Like, this here? You ever had a moment like that? You think everything's going along in a relationship and then something erupts and the thing, the trigger event, you're going, this? We're going to fight over this? What? Here? Oh. This is really that big of a deal? I'm about to lead millions of people out and you are going to kill me before I've left Midian because I didn't dot an I or cross a T? Yeah. What does it have to do with it? In one sense, everything You see, God demands attention to detail when he has been clear in his word, and there's no ambiguity, when God has clearly laid down, pun intended, the law, he clearly expects us to comply with that. Vance Havner would say, everything scripture says we ought to do, we can do. We just choose not to do. God stops Moses in his tracks because he hasn't taken a basic step in identification with God's people. Maybe his Egyptian upbringing had colored his view even in Midian. We don't know. Commentators guess. I'm not going to venture guesses. Just to say for one reason or another, he had excused himself and become comfortable with not complying with that part of the law. The Midianites, it was their culture to do this, to circumcise their firstborn. Moses, of course, you know his birth story that we had, and it may have just become distasteful to him. I don't know. The principle, though, is simple. Obedience is required. God gave a clear command, and Moses chose not to do it. Spoiler alert, Moses will not learn his lesson here, and his disobedience over a little thing will cost him entry into the land of Canaan at the end of his ministry. It's a pattern. (laughs) But the Lord treats obedience with a seriousness that's marked in stark contrast to our casual and self-excusing ways. We're casual in 2020 as a church, especially in America, we're casual about things that we don't really have Bible to be casual about. 
The New Testament makes some demands on us. We're casual about evangelism. Well, if it happens, great. You know, if it doesn't happen, that's just for somebody else. No, that's for us. If we, as the blood-bought church of the living God, don't tell the story, who will? It's not going to happen in schools. It's not going to happen institutionally. It's got to happen organically by the church, making disciples, making disciples. If you've got friends drinking water that was literally drawn as the overflow out of a garbage dump, and that's all they know to drink is water, and you're sitting here with a bottle of, insert your favorite brand here, whatever it is, I'm not going to go brand, what purified bottled water here, and you're just sitting there sipping it, drinking it, watching them drink garbage water, what kind of friend are you not to offer them the pure, refreshing water? They can choose not to drink. We have the water of life to give. We're casual about evangelism, though, like we've got a right to be. You don't. <laughs> there's, there's no room for that in the New Testament. We're casual about baptism for some reason, maybe because I'm not picking on Grace Covenant, but we're not a Baptist church. Uh, no, no, no. That's, that's not what this is. <laughs> that's not what that's about. It, it, it is for the redeemed. It's for those making public that their profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, I hear conversations sometimes. I, you know, it doesn't really matter. As long as, they, as long as they're walking with the Lord. But, but you're not walking in obedience if you've said yes to Jesus and haven't been baptized. You don't get to be casual about that. We're, we're casual about our giving for some reason. I mean, I've talked politics, baptism, all the other. Might as well hit this too, right? We're casual about our giving. But there's nothing casual in the Old or the New Testament about a love of money that makes you hold on to it so tightly that you won't give any to the local church. That's your problem, not the church's. I don't have enough. The widow didn't, and she gave all that she had and was blessed for it. Paul cleared it up and said, no, no, no. What you give financially supporting the local church is an act of worship to the Lord. You are saying, Lord, I love you. I adore you. Here's proof of it. But we're casual about it. Well, that's people's business. No, that's a discipline issue. It's a discipleship issue. The whole message isn't like this, don't worry. But here's the deal. God holds Moses to account over the little things. You say, what does that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything. Some of us are dying spiritually instead of thriving because we've tried to bypass simple matters of obedience with something less than. I'm praying this morning that you have an aha moment. Whatever it is, those are two or three examples. There are plenty. I'm not here to do that this morning, but I'm just saying it was circumcision for Moses. I doubt it's that for anybody in the room on this side of grace, but what's your moment? What's your thing that's, that's tripping you up, that's got you paused on the pathway to ministry instead of heading toward where you need to be going? I'm hoping that some of you have an aha moment this morning in the room. I'm hoping for some of you online this morning that you have an aha moment. I'm not speaking to our Grace Covenant Church family that's watching. Some are at home and some are away from home. Some have to be because of certain conditions. I get that. I'm talking to those of you that are growing accustomed to church on demand. Those of you who claim to have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and somehow you have excused and made it okay to stay disconnected from a local church. I'm sorry. You need to repent. 
You need to ask the Lord to lead you to a church family that you can be in covenant with where he will be most glorified and you will be sanctified. Stop looking for a church that's a good fit and look for a church that will help make you holy so that you can follow the Lord. Obedience matters, church. It almost cost Moses his life. What we do with our kids matters, parents. Preparing our kids for worship matters, parents. Moses should have taken the lead here. I'm I'm closing this up. But thank God for godly wives. Zipporah does it. She was showing Moses that we're only right with God through blood and his covenant promises. Apart from the shedding of blood, Moses was no different from the Egyptians from the standpoint of covenant. Good ministry, real ministry, God-honoring ministry and life in Christ begins with the family. It follows the leading of the Lord. It demands integrity. These last two are super fast. Ready? It's a team effort. Number four, it's a team effort. Look at the passage, 27 and 28. The Lord said to Aaron, to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And they meet And they embrace, and it's a holy kiss they exchange. Moses is not alone. Moses and Aaron are going together. This is more than just business. This is not a board meeting. This is not an organizational leadership development meeting. This is not two entrepreneurs who happen to have a relationship with God trying to figure out some cool new ministry initiative to launch because the season is ripe. This is God's work, and ministry is personal. It's not business. God is sending Moses with Aaron to the elders, thank God. And God is sending Moses and Aaron with the elders to Pharaoh. Ministry is a team effort. It's the reason we have elders here. It's not because Dr. Hall and Pastor D in the earliest days and thoughts and dreams of Grace Covenant laid out a few things like a drop-down menu on a website and thought, I wonder which church policy method we're going to choose. I kind of like this. Well, I like this. I like that. That's not how it happened. They opened their Bibles and they saw that elders led the church. The church was led by elders. They opened their Bibles and saw that deacons served to the physical needs of the church body. They saw the congregation together in unity affirming that the elders not moving a direction differently than the congregation necessarily, but we're not congregationalists. We're elder-led, deacon-served, congregation-affirmed. We're not here vilifying other models, but that's why we are. We, we opened our Bibles and wound up there. Leadership is a team effort. I'm not standing up here by myself. I stand up here as part of the church body and family, but on behalf of the elders, preaching and teaching and leading. And I'm grateful for that privilege, and I don't take it lightly. God didn't ask you to do this alone. You don't have to get your neighbors saved by yourself. (laughs) You don't have to share the gospel by yourself. We will do it together. You don't have to meet all your neighborhood's needs by yourself. Christy, you don't have to run faith, hope, and love alone. Ruth, watching by means of transmission here, you don't have to run change choices alone or worry about that. We will do it together as a church family whatever the lord's laid on your heart to do we'll do it together as a church family finally true ministry leads to true worship ministry leads to worship then moses and aaron went and gathered they get the elders together we've already read the text let me hasten through it for time's sake the people believed verse 31 
And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and they had, he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Wow, they worshiped. They're still in Egypt. They're still in bondage. They haven't left yet. But they worshiped the Lord in spite of their circumstances. Nothing's really changed. But one thing has changed. They've become confronted with the claims of the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even before their actual freedom, they found out that God was worthy of exaltation and worship. This is the God that said, I have surely seen. I have heard. I know what's going on. Your cry has come to me. I've seen the oppression of the enemy, and I have come down to rescue you. I close with Tony Merida's notes on this, making a great gospel connection. I love it. God's gracious attention should lead to God-glorifying exaltation. The end of all ministry should be worship. Praise God, for He's paid attention to us in our affliction. The Lord God Almighty has seen and heard us in our slavery, and He's come to free us through Christ. This God has come to us in Jesus, the one who said, I'm the door, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world, I'm the resurrection and the life. Old church gathered this morning, friend in the pew, friend watching online, do you know Jesus Christ personally, powerfully? Do you have a living relationship with the living God of this Bible? Not only must we know God, we've got to have a big view of God. We won't attempt to do great things for God if we don't have a big view of God. We're only four chapters into Exodus, and we discover that God is holy, He's self-sufficient, He's eternal, He's mysterious, He's glorious, He's gracious. What a God. As we come to know God and get a big view of God, we'll be amazed that He uses people like you and me to accomplish his will. Moses chose obedience. It's time for us to stop making excuses and just obey the word of the Lord. It was messy for Moses, but he was obedience. There was a short gap between the command and compliance. Would you stand with me this morning as we take a moment to respond to the text? The musicians are coming now. They're gonna play and we're gonna sing songs, but let me ask you some questions while they're coming. Where are your gaps today? Some of you need to mind the gap with your family. You, you have different lives you're living. You've got a work life, you've got a family life, you've got a ministry life, you've got a friend life. No, no, no. You've got one life to live. Live it all for Jesus. Some of you need to mind the gap in following God's lead. You're tempted to follow cultures or politics or you know what, anything other than God's lead in his word is less than. God still speaks through his word and his spirit speaks through his word. Some of you need to mind the gap in integrity. Little things matter. Jesus would say, you've been faithful over a few things. You can be trusted with much. Some of us need to mind the gap in thinking that we are all by ourselves, we gotta figure it out all ourselves. We're the Lone Ranger. We sound like, you know, a, the prophet. I'm the only one that can get it done, and God says, I've got thousands ready to take your place. No, 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 you don't need to get in that situation. We're in this together. Finally, some of us need to mind the gap. If what we're doing is ministry, 
on your job, and I believe that. I don't think just platform ministry is the only ministry. It's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying your job as an accountant, an attorney, a customer service rep, your job at home, tending to the affairs of a home, my goodness, managing a household, your job, whatever it is that you have in your hand that you're doing that's a ministry. Do people see the Lord? Because that's the real aim of real ministry. Let's pray. Father, we want to mind the gap this morning in our lives on the pathway to ministry. We don't want to stall out, Lord, because we've skipped over something and excused ourselves from something. Father, I'm reminded of uh, Paul's writing in Romans 8 as it might shape our prayer, Lord. We want to live according to the Spirit and have our minds set on the things of the Spirit. We don't want to have our minds set on death, the things of the flesh. That's where they lead us, though. It kills ministry. It kills opportunities. It robs us of the joy that we have in serving you. Lord, when we have the wrong mind, a fleshly mind, it's actually hostile toward you and doesn't submit. It can't. Oh, Lord, we want to walk in the Spirit. You say, Lord, that the Spirit of God dwells in us, and we are thankful for that. So, Lord, help us to do all we can to stay on the pathway of ministry with integrity and to mind the gaps along the way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And the church said,